New Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring the Hermetic tradition and its origins in ancient Egypt. My guest is Dr. Mervat Nasser, who is a psychiatrist. She is the founder of the new city of Hermopolis, and she is the author of Hermopolis, the history, philosophy, and future of the city of Hermes, in addition to other books on psychiatry. Once again, this is an internet interview. Dr. Nasser is in Cairo, Egypt, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Mervat. It's a pleasure to be with you today. The same here, Jeff. When I think about your story, your personal story, I'm very impressed. You basically gave up a psychiatric practice in London in order to establish a uh, center for intellectual tourism and a community based on the Hermetic tradition uh, located in the, in the very site in Egypt where the uh, Hermetic tradition probably originated. Yes, I did that. <laughs> It has been a such it has been such a long journey that I think it's worthwhile. Uh, yes, I was a senior lecturer in psychiatry and consultant uh, in London and before that in other places. And in many ways, I would say that I have achieved myself within my field, um, uh, and it has been rewarding. I worked for almost thirty years in England. Uh, in psychiatry, in training first, and then after that as a consultant for almost over 15 years or 20 years. Um, I've always been interested in cultural psychiatry and transcultural psychiatry. I, I, I rather call it, uh, I prefer the word culture rather than transcultural. And uh, so, it, in fact, my move towards uh, hermeticism or towards the hermetic tradition is not such a departure from my interest in psychiatry anyway. Uh, it is probably more uh, holistic, more general, uh, more uh, of an idea to uh, to give uh, to transmit the idea of of, of healing in general. Uh, and healing through hermetic philosophy, through uh, an area and a place, as you say, is reputed to have generated a body of thoughts that influenced humanity from ancient times till now. Well, one of the things that you uh, write about in in your book is that uh, Carl Jung, whom I regard as probably the greatest psychiatrist ever, uh, but certainly the, one of the greatest in the 20th century, really is a, a modern representative of the Hermetic tradition. Yes, there are many. <laughs> uh, they are the ones that I call as pioneers of existence. They were able to dig back in history and to look deep and to come across the Hermetic tradition and to see within it 
the roots for uh, exploring the self and trying to pioneer a new self. And this new self that it is, uh, it is new, but at the same time it's an ancient self that ha- has the ability to acknowledge its plurality, its multiplicities, uh, its diversity, and to integrate its diverse parts, and also to uh, be able to uh, integrate with the whole world, not only within the self itself, but also with the cosmos as well as the others. So it, it, is, it is something that we definitely need today. Your choice of this location, uh, which you call uh, Hermopolis, and which is associated, uh, I, is, to my understanding, with an ancient temple uh, to the Egyptian god Thoth, who, who has been equated with uh, the Greek god Hermes, uh, and, and is associated with the origins of what we call the Hermetic tradition. Uh, it's a very ancient tradition. It goes back, I, I gather, to the earliest periods of Egyptian culture. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I call it Hermopolis or New Hermopolis because the area, I am actually within walking distance from ancient Hermopolis. Ancient Hermopolis uh, lies in Minya, Governorate and in an, in two areas, Ashmunin, which is the ancient name for Hermopolis. It was renamed Hermopolis when the Greeks came uh, to Egypt. Uh, and I will say why the Greeks became very interested in in Hermopolis and uh, actually it reached its heydays under uh, Hellenistic Egypt. Um, but uh, there is also Tunal Gabal, which became the cemetery or the burial site for the scholars and the priests who worked in Ashmunin or in Hermopolis itself, the living city, uh, which was the city of learning. It was an ancient center of thought. Uh, the two are very close to each other. It is about five kilometers or six kilometers between the two sites, and it is at the heart of many other antiquities, including the famous Akhenaten city, with his uh, famous Nefertiti, his, uh, 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 his wife Nefertiti, and it, it must not have been a coincidence that, Nefertiti, uh, that Akhenaten chose this site to build his city, and the boundaries of the city reaches to Nalgabal. In fact, Hermopolis, or Ashmunin in the ancient times, which comes from the word Simnu, uh, which means eight, uh, or Shemnu in Coptic, which means eight as well. It uh, refers to the four primordial forces, the masculine ones, and the four counterparts, the feminine parts, and how the marriage between the two uh, sets of primordial forces uh, produced harmony in the world. So it is, it is, it is the place where harmony was born. So uh, uh, it, it is an area that we should, all of us, through life on. It may be mythological, but I think we need to go back and to embrace our mythical thought structure 
as gifts are says, of course, uh, that it has to be part of our new consciousness. These eight deities uh, are even um, older, I gather, than um, the god Thoth, who was later sort of amalgamated with Hermes. Yes and no, because they, they, one would say they are all around the same time. It depends on whether you actually take the view that Thoth is uh, uh, an actual deity or a person that you could identify or a mythical structure as well so that's uh, but he is as ancient as Ra so he is the moon god and he is the calculator he is the counter of the days he is the measurer of time and the guardian of thought and uh, the one who invented the hieroglyphics and taught humanity all arts and knowledge. So it's, uh, he, he is really uh, a main uh, character in the Egyptian pantheon. I mean, he comes up for Ra. He's even his deputy because the moon deputizes for the sun <laughs> in its absence. So, so I think, I think it, is, it is as ancient. But mythologically, the myth of creation of the Ashmunin or Hermopolis uh, is probably contemporary to the myth of creation of Heliopolis. So the two cities are connected with the two major myths of creation, how the cosmos came about. One is called the Obdawat and the other one is called the Inyad. Yeah. One of the uh, myths out of ancient Egypt that uh, is probably most familiar to people here in the West is uh, the story of Osiris and Isis and uh, Horus, who uh, is is the son of Osiris and, and, and Isis, and the battle between Horus and his uncle Set. And um, you point out in this story that in that mythological battle, Horus, the hawk god, his eye is removed by uh, Set and uh, is restored to him by Thoth. And in a, in a sense, uh, in this mythic battle between Horus and Set, Thoth uh, becomes the peacemaker, the, the point of balance, not just between male and female, but between, uh, I think, what some would regard as good and evil. Absolutely, yes. This is the, this is very central. And the myth of Isis and Osiris and Seth and Horus actually goes back to the Heliopolitan mythology and the Heliopolitan myth of creation. Uh, but they are all connected in Egypt. The beauty about ancient Egypt, uh, or the ancient Egyptian folk, it is the, the integration of everything. Everything is included. There is nothing like uh, uh, all or none or one or the other. It is all part and parcel of how we see the world. And it is not only that uh, thought when he restored the eye of Horus in this mythic fight uh, uh, that he was the reconciliator, of course, and the one who restored balance and peace, as you rightly said. But more importantly, was the first one to make a connection between sight and insight because we don't see properly with our outer eyes. Our outer eyes, like what Plato told us, is limited. Our perception is limited. There is a lot beyond what we see and what we perceive. And, uh, and this 
this beyond is very important and the myth uh, or the mythical fight and the necessity of losing the eye was very important to tell humanity first of all that revenge is not the answer it is the same old story like of course uh, uh, Shakespeare's uh, famous tragedy uh, because if you actually uh, Take revenge is still, uh, evil is not going to go away. Uh, and in this story, good and evil are two faces of the same coin, are two sides of the same coin. And we have the two. And we, the only thing we could do is to increase the proportion of goodness which would nullify or balance the evil or the bad. Uh, so it is, it, this incremental beauty, incremental goodness. This is the idea or the philosophy of Egypt that you endeavor all your life not for perfection but to uh, make ugliness less, to make uh, uh, evil less, to make harm less uh, which, is, which is the idea of mind. So it is, it is all about revenge is no, is no good, it's not the answer to anything. It is about that we see internally more than we see from outside and we need to be able to develop an insight and understanding. And after all, I know you are a psychologist. So yeah, it, 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 it's, it's all about insight giving. I mean, our therapy, all therapeutic uh, endeavors in, in psychiatry or psychology is about insight giving. So this insight is the whole thing. Uh, uh, the other thing is about the reconciliation, the idea of peace, the idea of harmony, the idea of uh, accepting that this is life. You are not going to get rid of what you do not like. Uh, you have to live with that and to moderate it and uh, to titrate it to your advantage or to the advantage of humanity. Let me share with you uh, um, and our viewers an interesting side story. Many years ago, I visited uh, Egypt, and I was at the temple of Osiris in Abydos, and um, I had a dream that night, and a poem came to me in, in a dream. When I woke up, I wrote down the poem. It was a fully formed poem, and I actually recorded it. I'm going to link to it uh, so our viewers will see it on the upper right-hand uh, portion of their screen. Uh, and it's about the uh, light needs the darkness and the darkness needs the light. It's sort of the lesson of Osiris and uh, his brother Set and, and the conflict they had. Let's talk about the uh, how the Hermetic tradition evolved after the uh, during really during the Hellenistic period where uh, her, where thoughts became I guess the word is syncretized with the Greek god Hermes and uh, the Hermetic tradition and the Corpus Hermeticum these documents that uh, go back I suppose to the Hellenistic period. Uh, it's believed that they originated there in uh, Egypt, right in that area of Hermopolis. Absolutely, yes. I mean, they could have been based on uh, the Book of Thoughts, which was found uh, recently and translated, only fragments of it. 
Um, and uh, there are also other uh, things that have been found. For a long time, as you rightly say, the Hermetic manuscripts were collected at the time of the Greeks in Hellenistic Egypt. But it doesn't mean that they were written at that time. <laughs> it was taken for a long time because most of what was found, especially the manuscripts that traveled or migrated to Florence and were translated and became the Hermetica as we know it by Ficino, by Marcello Ficino, that, uh, that, that, that they were mostly Greek. But after the discovery of the Book of Thought, that is supposed to be uh, predating the Hermetica, as well as uh, uh, the finding of the manuscripts in Naga Hammadi Library, the Gnostic manuscripts, it became quite clear that, uh, that it is Egyptian, or at least, there is a huge Egyptian contribution in it because it actually resonates with the ancient Egyptian thought. Uh, there, there are passages in the Hermetica or within the Hermetica that you could easily find uh, in the Book of Tuas, in the Coffin Text, in, the, uh, in the, uh, the Book of the Dead or coming forth uh, uh, in the day. So that is that is actually it is purely, or the roots of it is purely Egyptian, which is the idea of integration, balance, uh, 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 the, the cosmic notion. Why the Greeks became very interested in Hermopolis and recalled it after Hermes, uh, this is really what we need to stop at. And, uh, and to start to, dis to discuss, because obviously without them, it wouldn't have reached uh, its worldwide proportions and its importance. So one has to give it, of course, to the Greeks. So that's, uh, but the idea is that the Greeks were used to the notion uh, of uh, the polis. So for them, the police was the uh, the microcosm was the the, the, the small city state was the one that it is within control that uh, you know that you are a citizen of a special police you have certain rights you have certain duties etc etc. When they came to Egypt. They discovered it was obviously after the Persians, and they, they managed to get rid of the Persians under Alexander the Great, but they found that the Egyptians had so many races and so many ideas and creeds and beliefs going on, and they seemed to be living together harmoniously. Uh, the Greeks were starting to be disillusioned with the idea of the police because obviously uh, Athena didn't become the unifying force and there were many polices and the states, uh, city-states that separated from it. So there was a crisis in identity, there was a crisis of existence, very similar to our times now when we are facing with who we are. We are living in a, a multiracial society, multicultural societies, uh, people who are different from us. Now we are discussing, you are in the States, I am in Egypt, and we are talking through this medium. So there is no boundaries now. The geographical boundaries that we are all used to have disappeared. Uh, so the, the, 
all, all of that happened with the advent of Hellenism, with the entry of the Greeks into Egypt. And actually, I have to say that Alexander the Great, was his idea was quite clear that he was globalizing the world. It was the first globalization. It was the idea of bringing East and West together. And, uh, and in order to bring that, they're going to have so many races and so many beliefs and so many colors and so many shades into the equation. And all of this have to be transformed into something or at least they, they have to uh, resort to a strategy or a philosophy that will help them to cope with this new life with the new world order that we are living in. So it is actually the first globalization, and it's almost the same, the second one is the one that we are living in now. Uh, and and it was the time just before Christianity, and it was the time that originally were the Jews there, and there were all these older beliefs and older philosophies, Persian philosophies, Egyptian philosophies, Neoplatonism, all these things were happening. So Hermopolis, with its uh, multiplicity and being also the city where harmony emerged and this idea of uh, that you cannot exclude anybody. It's this kind of inclusiveness, this idea of inclusiveness and, uh, and the capacity for the Egyptians. At that time, I must say that we are not any longer, I mean, we are having difficulties. And that is the reason why we are reviving such a, a, a site and such a tradition. But at that time, obviously, things were very different. And that was the prototype, or was like the model uh, that they based the big cosmopolis Alexandria on. So without Hermopolis, probably we wouldn't have had Alexandria. So, and, and also in Egypt, to have a center dedicated or a city dedicated to thought processing and thought generation or ideas, generating ideas, was in itself something probably unique that uh, in the world at that time. In, in Egypt, many of the major centers, be it Heliopolis and Hermopolis, at least you could say that, but there were others as well, like Thermopolis. And I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the geohermetic uh, built, that there are many other centers that probably had the same uh, concept of uh, being think tank or having attracting people to it to generate ideas. And these ideas are still valid till now. So the cosmic notion that the Egyptians had of their own world, that the, that Egypt was the temple of the world, and its, uh, it, 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 its land is the mirror of heaven, and all that sort of thing, meant that anyone is Egyptian in their eyes. They were not barbarians like the Greek, you know, the, the idea of the Greeks. So for them, as long as you live and you live by the rules of Egypt, that you respect nature and you respect the other and you are reconciled within yourself, you are you are a, a, a hermit or a hermitist or able to to be one of us. Obviously, the ones who, were, who became the generators of ideas, they dedicated themselves 
to to that kind of thing. People call it priesthood, but I actually like to call it philosophical pursuits or scholarly pursuits and dedication to uh, acquiring knowledge and uh, creating knowledge accordingly uh, and beautifying the world and making the world better place. So that, I think the idea of the cosmic notion as well as uh, a center to generate ideas or thoughts. These two factors became so attractive for the Greeks. In fact, I believe uh, very important Greek philosophers such as Pythagoras went to Egypt to, to study in the temples there. And Plato as well. I mean, there are quite a lot of Plato that is Egyptian. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, yeah, even before Hellenistic times, uh, people, uh, philosophers and thinkers from all over the world, they flocked to, to Egypt because it was supposed... And Heliopolis was a huge center. Probably Hermopolis was not known or took a second place to Heliopolis at that time. But after that, with Hellenistic times, obviously people realized that it is credited with a myth of creation. And it has something to do with how the cosmos or the nature was created and all that. Uh, but as I said, Egypt has this idea that everything complements uh, everything else. Everything is interconnected. So we cannot really talk about just Heliopolis or just Hermopolis. It is, uh, and you mentioned Abydos as well. Yeah, they are all important centers. Uh, and another interesting uh, fusion, I think, that you, you hint at in, in your book is Akhenaten and uh, the, the birth of monotheism uh, is, is somehow... Uh, Interrelated, I think maybe the, uh, uh, it's hard to find exactly the, uh, the right word, but, uh, but the, uh, the birth of monotheism under Akhenaten was probably also somewhat influenced by, uh, the uh, tradition of Thoth and the, and the, uh, early Hermetic tradition in Egypt. It is enigmatic that he chose this site. And we know that from the archaeological findings in Ashmunin or in ancient Hermopolis, that his father has been there, and there is evidence. So, I mean, Hatib III is a great man, as a great builder, and he's one of the architects of ancient Egyptian civilization. So, there are so many monuments and so many achievements, and probably, uh, and, and that's why probably Freud actually took the Oedipus complex from Akhenaten because of his relationship with his mother, who was a very strong woman, Queen T, and also uh, with his father, because he was overshadowed by his father. He couldn't really live up to that. His father was the first one to talk about uh, the, uh, the solar uh, uh, worship. Obviously, the soul of worship in Egypt was uh, goes back to the first day of the creation of Egypt because Ra was the sun. So the sun was behind everything. It was the, it was the creator of everything. But with Amenhotep III, he became uh, interested uh, in, 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 in something more abstract and more cosmic than just Ra. So it's, uh, so I think actually even he, it, it is known that he bought his wife, 
20 uh, abodes in the Nile and called it Aten. So, so obviously even the word Aten, uh, I think, comes from his father. Uh, I don't want to belittle the, 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 the contribution of Akhenaten. He's obviously a very interesting guy and became more interesting and there are people who see him as not only in connection with monotheism, because monotheism as monotheism, as people understand it, is exclusionist by definition. And that was, that went against the Egyptian uh, religious stream went against the religious philosophy of Egypt. All along, Egypt was capable of embracing so many things and having within uh, itself so many deities, and yet there was always this sense of unifying the whole lot into one. So, how the multiplicity leads to one, how the all and one. So, any one is multiple, is multiple bits, uh, and yet he's one in the end. This oneness is different from monotheism. Monotheism is a doctrine that actually preaches certain laws and traditions and certain things, and, and it claims to be the right one, and anything else is not the right. And I think that was, in many ways, the, the, the mistake that Akhenaten made. Uh, he initially embraced everything, and I'm sure he could not chose this site in particular without prior knowledge of thought, and not, without prior knowledge that that was the headquarters of thought. <laughs> so, uh, and he showed incredible tolerance towards uh, thought. He actually, as other deities, suffered persecution under him, but thought was not touched at all. And one of the most exquisite statues uh, that's found now in the Cairo Museum uh, of uh, the scribe in front of thought is, is so, such a beautiful uh, one. Uh, it was found in El Amarna, so it was found in the city of Akhenaten. Uh, also, after his general, Hormohab, who actually uh, took after him uh, and ruled, uh, he didn't become the, the ruler, but, uh, but more or less saved the country, <laughs> or rescued the country from the excesses of Akhenaten. Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been all right if he had uh, uh, continued with the tradition and made it more abstract, as his father probably tended to do, and as also Ramesses II and the Ramesside period tried to do after that, to bring it to a stream with the Egyptian line of thought that the, what we are trying to do is perhaps it's not the sun as a concrete thing, but the light within the sun. And this is very hermetic, because even the Ottawas, they are, we can call it, uh, earth, water, uh, fire, uh, air, and yet they have attributes. The attributes include uh, things like infinity, hiddenness, uh, light, uh, uh, and darkness. So that was more important for the Egyptians, the intrinsic characteristics of things 
if not the, the, the material. Uh, so, in fact, in a very hermetic way, he could have carried on, which was was a, a plan to, uh, that was addressed in the Ramesside period, but probably didn't continue uh, long enough. You also mentioned that uh, Hermopolis served as sort of the seed or the model for uh, what eventually became Alexandria, and I gather that in its heyday, Alexandria was probably the greatest city in, in the world. It certainly had the greatest library, and uh, to my understanding, it, it really was a, uh, a time in which the Hermetic philosophy was the, uh, the dominant uh, worldview of people in Alexandria. Indeed, but I think the idea of uh, uh, this uh, city that, uh, that is cosmic comes from Hermopolis and comes from the ancient the Egyptian notion that uh, uh, Egypt is the temple of the world, that it is a, it is a cosmic idea. If we don't have boundaries. So that is uh, the boundaries in the same sense that we entertain now. But also the idea that thinking and the production of thought and the production of ideas is elevating. It is something that will make you a better person and will make our culture better. That was, again, something very hermetic, uh, which became after that Gnostic and became Sufi, that you, uh, you escalate, you become a better person by trying to uh, transform yourself from uh, uh, alchemically, from being something crude and cheap to something refined and golden, uh, which is really through knowledge, through art and knowledge. So creativity, so that these are the three things, the cosmic nature of things, that, uh, the, the, the role of ideas and the generation of ideas and also the creativity of man and the potential of man and how he and he alone can make the universe a better place. Now, there is a, a, an interesting contradiction that I, I see in all of this, and, and that is, as you pointed out from uh, what we have discovered in the library of Nag Hammadi, the early Christians seem to be uh, pursuing a, uh, a program of spirituality uh, and an understanding of the nature of the teachings of Jesus that was very consistent with the uh, Gnostic tradition and the Hermetic tradition, but eventually the uh, church, as, as it became a powerful institution, um, took a stand against those traditions, and in, in particular in the city of Alexandria, uh, the great uh, hermetic teacher Hypatia uh, was brutally murdered, and I, I gather her, she was skinned alive by uh, the, the Christian fathers who had no tolerance for hermeticism. Absolutely, and that's why I'm saying that uh, monotheism, as we understand it, uh, became problematic for the world because, uh, by by definition, it is exclusionist and has a sense of a monopoly over the truth uh, and doesn't have uh, within it the capacity to embrace everything. Although this is in in Gnostic Christianity, it was found. 
and it was also in the in Sufi Islam it is found. So it is it is it is not uh, it doesn't contradict religion in its spirit and in heart. But the way religion becomes politicized and when religion marries power. So that is actually the case because the, the, initially in Alexandria uh, there were still Christians even after the Romans. I mean, not only you know the, after the Romans for a period of time, uh, everything was taking place. The Osiris mysteries, the festivities, uh, as you say, uh, Hypatia and the New Platonic tradition, the New Platonic circles. Everything was happening and people were teaching different uh, creeds and we have to understand that Judaism was also there so it was it, yeah it was in existence but somehow it was like a, a melting pot people were able to take from it what they like and to manage their own life and it became uh, that you choose what is actually good for you or what, 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 what is in keeping with yourself and helps you. And that philosophy as a cure and philosophy as a way of life, which we try now to, 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 to see it within psychology and new psychology, that philosophy is part and parcel of psychology, really. I mean, and, uh, and mythology as well, of course. So in, in, uh, 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 uh Obviously, extremism in religion is usually when people preach monopoly over the truth. And when religion is married to power, and usually married to politics. So, this is, and this is the story we are in now, and there's a story that was there 2,000 years ago. So it's, uh, it, it reminds us, it's a constant reminder, the beauty of the hermetic tradition uh, is that it, it is reconciliatory, so humanistic. It, 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 it reaches all the things or talks about all the things that we stand for, that we still cherish, and we think they are the foundations for a better world. It, be it universality, be it uh, humanism, be it uh, utopianism, uh, be it uh, uh, idealism, uh, 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 be it uh, green uh, architecture and green uh, agriculture and, and all these things, it is, it is being part and parcel of the whole world and creating a better place. It lends itself to that and gives man the power for being the gardener or the deputy of God on earth that he is supposed to beautify himself and beautify earth. Well, that's beautifully put, and I have to agree wholeheartedly uh, with all of those sentiments. I think before we conclude our discussion, we should also talk about alchemy and its relationship both to Egypt and to Hermeticism. Absolutely, and this is again what I mentioned in the book about the geohermetic uh, belt. Uh, the geohermetic belt, as I referred to, is, uh, is Hermopolis and uh, Panopolis and Nagahamad. Nagahamad, of course, was the famous library where the Gnostic manuscripts were found. Uh, Panopolis is Ahmim, and it is in the middle. It is uh, the, uh, Hermopolis is to the north, uh, Nagahamad is to the south. 
and between them lies Panopolis or Athens. And Panopolis was again became an important center in Hellenistic Egypt, and then after that, under the early uh, Arab scholarship and Islamic scholarship, uh, who took a great deal of interest in that because, of course, they were the first to uh, translate the Emerald Tablet and, uh, and became very interested in that side of the Hermetic tradition, which is the alchemical one. Which, of course, after that, the Germans, many of the Germans, Paracelsus and all that, they took after that. They took uh, mainly uh, after the, uh, the Emerald Tablet. Uh, and Green Hermeticism, of course, the, the idea of Rodolfo Steiner and all the things, they all come from the Green Emerald more than the Hermetica of Florence. That uh, that we know of. The two are complementary, of course. They are, they are they they help each other. But the idea of alchemy is crucial because alchemy, in fact, originated from Hermopolis. Uh, Hermopolis was the think tank, as I said, was the where ideas were produced, ideas that can transform human beings. So that we are capable of transforming ourselves through a tendency on the ladder of knowledge. So this is the, this was the, the thing. But at the same time, it is creative ascendancy. It is creative climb because not anyone who uh, who stops books or stops ideas will become a better person. I mean, of course, that's not the case. So it is it, it, that was the idea that knowledge is primarily a force towards bettering yourself. Uh, and that is purely hermetic. Uh, uh, the alchemical uh, tradition came from this, which was all about cheap metals and precious metals to start with. And the word chemistry, which comes from uh, alchemy, became chemistry, and alchemy comes from Kemet, and Kemet is the name of Egypt, which is the, uh, the mud of the Nile, uh, the black land, the black earth, all these things. How you transform that? Even humanity itself comes from the mud, according to the Bible and the Quran and all that. We are all made of mud. We are uh, made on the potter's wheel, as it were. So that's, that's very Egyptian as well. So that's, uh, so the creative thing, creativity and creating a human being is very Egyptian, which is from the mud you make something beautiful and something alive and something unique and all that. Uh, they took it probably literally, the early uh, Arab scholars, uh, and even before that, there were other people who were still conversant with the Egyptian tradition and the Hermetic tradition, who were like the Nun al-Masri, uh, the Egyptian, who was the first Sufi, in fact. After him came, 300 years after him, came Ibn Arabi, and then after that, uh, Rumi, Ibn, Rumi, who are the two pillars now. But they are all based with some... Um, yeah, yeah, some uh, uh, variations. Uh, Ibn Arabi probably the one who is best and closely connected with 
Zanun al-Masri. Uh, the problem with Zanun is that he didn't leave behind a lot of uh, writings, very much like uh, Socrates and Plato. Yeah. So that, most of the information that we have about him came from Ibn Arabi, in fact. Uh, and, and this idea of uh, that humanity is all connected uh, through compassion, through love, through this affinity that we are, we are all uh, re- relating to something higher or aspire to something higher. This aspiration that all humans share uh, connects humanity together. This uh, kind of uh, futuristic view of of the self, the becoming, the being, the, uh, within the, uh, becoming within being. So that is, uh, being and becoming are uh, more or less the same thing. So you are constantly becoming. You are an unfinished project until you die. Uh, so that, that, that actually became, uh, they concretized it in a way. They tried to produce a better metal uh, in the lab. And uh, all the labs were in Akhmim or Panopolis. And by the way, Panopolis is after Pan, and Pan is supposed to be Hermes' son. <laughs> so it's, uh, and he is the one between a godly creature and an earthly creature. So that's, uh, so Hermaphrodite is something that is uh, interesting in, in a way, the combination of nature and man, the bestiality with humanity and all these things, uh, the wild with the yeah, it's, uh, uh, but after that, of course, with, 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 uh, in relation, people started to see, no, there is more to it than that. There is a mystical alchemy. And the mystical alchemy is, uh, is the Gnostic tradition, be it uh, in Christianity, uh, Gnosticism, be it in Judaism, the Kabbalah, be it in Islam, Sufism. And uh, I think it's any spiritual tradition is an abstraction. It's a kind of looking at all these ramifications, all these issues that came out uh, from uh, the hermetic philosophy or body of thought that tell us that we can actually better ourselves and better the world that we live in if we were to revisit this idea. The thought that comes to me as you have explained all of these things is that the uh, fusion of all of these cultures in ancient Egypt that one might summarize as hermeticism, it it reminds me of what we think of today as quantum entanglement, that uh, everything comes from the same source, so ultimately everything is entangled with everything else. Absolutely, yes, I agree. I cannot agree more, yes. And and with that's why we need to revisit the past. And all the people that I mentioned that who, who are supposedly, and they acknowledge their debt to the hermetic tradition, and I refer uh, to them as pioneers of existence. They are the 20th century pioneers of existence, and they are all for me like gurus. I mean, uh, they, they revisited the past. And they took from the past, uh, and they obviously, they didn't take it and copy it and, and, and told us about it. They actually enriched it. And they, they, they built on it. 
and they created bodies of philosophies on their own rights. So we have William James, we have Carl Jung, the undiscovered continent. We have, of course, Gibson uh, with his integral consciousness, and we have Rudolf Steiner and and before him Goethe and all that, and uh, Novalis and Rilke and all of all of these people, and we have Viktor Frankl who actually survived against the odds that you can you have your ultimate freedom in your attitude. And your attitude is informed by ideas. You live, we live by ideas. He called it uh, a, the therapy of meaning, that we need a meaning. Humanity cannot, the young as well said that all, all humans need a meaning to live. Dr. Mirvat Nasser, this has been a great honor for me to have this conversation with you and to share it with our viewers. Uh, I am in awe of what you have done, uh, reconstructing and, and rebuilding the ancient city of Hermopolis. I encourage all of our viewers to visit your website. The link to it will be in the description following this video. You, you have created a magnificent uh, center and, and a community there, and I, I'm sure, you know, given the present political conditions and the conditions surrounding the pandemic, it, it, it must be a difficult time to launch such a venture, uh, but uh, what you have done is truly awesome and inspiring, and uh, it's something that uh, should be very widely known and, and appreciated, so uh, I'm just delighted to have had this opportunity to be with you. Thank you. The same here. It's a great pleasure, and it's an honor for me to be interviewed by you. Thank you very much for giving me this, such an opportunity. And for those of you viewing, thank you for being with us.